Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur, and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world-changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Leaders Alliance podcast. And uh, I have a really special friend on that will be with us today, John Bootsma, and he'll be talking a bit about what it is like to pioneer in the kingdom, keys to ministry pioneering. But before we get there, let me just say welcome. Uh, Leaders Alliance is a community of globally minded, kingdom minded people. In other words, we are men and women who love Jesus. We love his purposes. We love the thing he taught us to pray. Let your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are in love with his outcomes, with his purposes. And we want to build together a context, a framework, a, a community of collaboration where we can start to connect with one another, that church leaders can be connecting with marketplace leaders, can be connecting with Hollywood leaders, can be connecting with educational leaders, governmental leaders, that we're starting to build these collaborative connections with an ultimate goal to establish strong local churches who are really thinking outside the box of their local church, but also to establish embassies, kingdom embassies, because we are all kingdom citizens, but we need to be ambassadors for the kingdom. And that means that we need to establish embassies in the marketplace and embassies in the different fields of study, different spheres of society, so that we can act, uh, influence the world around us. And so we you know, draw on, on kingdom uh, church leaders, we draw on marketplace leaders, we draw on a wide array of different leaders to speak to us, to help us grow in our leadership abilities so that we can actually be used by God to bring his purposes to pass. And so welcome everybody. But why don't I bring John on right now? John, would you join us on the call? And uh, so excited to have you. And uh, I love your your backdrop. I love your house. Uh, we, Diane and I were uh, guests in your house for a couple of days, and it was just such a wonderful environment. You're in Kansas City. We came out for the send about whatever, five, six months ago, and it was just an awesome gathering. And you guys were such great hosts, and it was just so fun to be with you. But what we want to do today is we want to talk about some of your experiences and sort of where you are now, but we're going to get there after a little while. So we're going to begin by going backwards in time whatever, 29 years, 30 years, mm -hmm. and yeah. you know, talk about a little bit of your history prior to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is exactly almost 29 years ago today or yeah. within yes, this week, and, um, and, and how you came to the Lord, how you began to identify yourself as somebody who is a pioneer in the kingdom. You've started many different movements. You've done different things, churches, uh, prayer movements, different things. And now you're even working on a new church plant. Bring us back and let's start at the beginning and we'll just kind of dialogue our way through this. Say, Sounds so go good. Well, thank you, Michael. We loved having you and Diane here. And it's been such an honor and privilege for Patricia and I to know you. Uh, Patricia and I actually are kind of shocking. You know, if I, if I do a backward look, it's astounding to think that we have six children, eight grandchildren. We live in Kansas City wow. over 50 years in Canada, you know, part of this amazing move of the spirit in Toronto. But, you know, I'm thankful because as, as a young boy, I was born in a home that my dad and mom really honored Christ. And just to have those firm foundations is so huge. 
I remember even as a teenager and as a young kid, I had enough of the fear of the Lord that, you know, I didn't want to engage the place of any level of a sinful lifestyle because I think I had this revelation that, you know, if you do, you, you kind of give the enemy access. And, and because I saw my dad constantly in the word of God and, you know, I'd read things like, don't give the devil a foothold. And so that, you know, I felt like I walked a tightrope for probably the first 10 years of being a believer, five, five to wow. 10 years of being a believer, where I didn't necessarily want to boldly let people know that I was a follower of Jesus. But I also you know, had enough wisdom and fear of the Lord that, no, I'm not going to engage in the sinful lifestyle. But I, I remember getting to a point in my life where I was so frustrated with myself. And I thought, I can't live a life of mediocrity. I've got to either be wholehearted for the, the things of the gospel for God, for, for what he values, love what he loves, hate what he hates, or I've got to go the other direction. I mean, even Jesus to the, yeah. to the, to the church of Laodicea, you know, I wish you were hot or cold or, you know, and so I'm like, okay, I want to be hot for the Lord. And so I remember making that key decision, which was instrumental. And then from there on in, it was like trying to dive in wholeheartedly into whatever the Lord gave me to do. And yet recognizing that I saw other people that seemed to have instantaneous encounter and for me it seemed to be more of a process in canada that's process but process. america's process and uh and you know living this process but making a decision to develop habits to you know dig into the word of god to live a life of prayer to really seek to you know be a part of a community to partake of what the lord had uh, in our lives and um you know i remember that I remember back in 1987, finishing university, it's like, Lord, what am I going to do? I recall having this guy show up, you know, a number of years earlier at our door prophesying. I, I was the third of six kids living on a farm in rural Ontario, Canada, and just prophesying and saying, one of your kids is going to be in ministry. And my brother's point and says, it's John, it's John. And I'm like, no, no, no. Not really knowing what I was saying no to, but Wow. But yet engaging, you know, really embracing the call and saying yes to the Lord. But uh, in that time, I remember being at the end of university saying, Lord, what next? Because I was thinking, could I be a teacher in the you know, second world? But then, then you know, I, heard, I got this, this, this uh, brochure in the mail that this John and Carol Arnett in Stratford, Ontario, were trying to raise money for the building of a church in Stratford, which became the mother church of the Toronto church. And I just said, I got to connect with them because I ended up getting a job as a banker in Stratford, Ontario and almost lived with John and Carol Arnett. I was actually on my way uh, back in 1988, January of 88 to live with them. And, and I get there and it was somebody else just as a, you know, trying to pay off debts, keep my bills low. But it was there that I met Patricia, got married by John and Carol. They officiated wow. our wedding wow. in June of 1990. And, um, and then they ended up moving on to Toronto and suddenly this move of the spirit came and... You know, we had, meanwhile, we had planted, we'd started planning a church in London, Ontario. My wife started, but then I married her. So I got grafted into that assignment. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Lord was with us in London, Ontario. It was a city that there was a lot of occult, but the Lord was also there. We saw some amazing things that helped form and shape my life. And then when we got an invitation to come and take it over again, because the bank had moved me in the end, John and Carol said, come and help us in this incredible outpouring where you get upward to 3 million people. And you know, three to five years showing up at the door. And we said, yes, quit the bank and uh, just served, served the Lord in this place of authority and anointing, you know, taking this call as a missionary, realizing well, mission starts in your own backyard. Yes. And so began to jump in and thought, well, I'm not going to just jump in. I want to dive in head first and, 
and uh, engage fully what the Lord has for not only my life, but our lives. And, uh, you know, by the time we moved at 95, we had our third child in the oven, ready to be birthed, as it were. Wow. Um, so you Toronto. moved to Toronto then at that time in 95. That's amazing. Yeah. In one, in one month, we had it. Right? Sorry? You were on the ground floor of just we the were, season. Yeah. yeah. We showed up on day 12 in Toronto of the outpouring and yet would come back regularly an hour and a half trip nice. um, drive and uh, just really engaged it. I mean, it was it was somewhat offensive to my mind at front. You know, my dad was very analytical. I became I realized that I was also analytical. I remember once, you know, you look at manifestations, which Toronto was known for. And I remember one day, John and Carol remember it well as well, but I just got turned up on my head and started roaring, like literally standing on my head against the wall, roaring. Wow. And I think it was this thing where the Lord was saying to me, John, you've got to get your spirit as higher than your mind. You cannot reduce God to the size of your intellect. You've got to get your spirit man awakened and quickened. And um, and so I, you know, I was feeling from the outside looking in, but yet I wanted to just dive in because I knew the Lord was at the thick of it all. Now, let's just pause there for one moment, because, you know, you might be a listener today or in archives in the future and not really know much about Toronto. In fact, I was surprised I met somebody the other day who just had never heard of the Toronto outpouring of the Holy Spirit, of the uh, Father's blessing is what they wanted to call it. It was called the Toronto blessing uh, by the tourist agency, I guess. And and uh, so, but anyway, what happened was this, this amazing couple, John and Carol Arnott, who were hungry for God. They were just like, whatever the cost, Lord, we're going to follow you. And uh, and they invited a friend, a guy named Randy Clark up. And somehow the, I don't know, the cross-pollination of Randy's relationship with a few other major leaders and their time just in Argentina created this sort of whirlwind of impact that the Lord brought. And and God's presence was poured out. And you guys were there 12 days later. I, I think Diane and I were there maybe 20, 25 days later. Um, you know, after the outpouring, we were still in the small building and but it was it was dramatic. It was powerful. Yeah. And it was very demonstrative. And yes. so people were getting touched. People were falling down under the power. Many times they'd be shaking or crying or laughing. And uh, it became a little bit known as the laughing revival in some settings. And but it, but it was offensive to some people. I think my wife and I were so we were so desperate by that time that, you know, because we had been, you know, leading in San Francisco as pastors for probably close to uh, maybe 15 years by that time. And we were pretty tired. And so to be in a, uh, you know, to go to basically an oasis where there was just water flowing compared to the desert we had been in, we just started frolicking and splashing and everything. And, uh, <laughs> so we embraced it fully. Um, but, you know, again, it was always a little bit of a tug of war because there was some unusual stuff. You know, like people roaring or people, you know, and this is not uncommon if you look at the history of revival, okay, because most uh, most revival history has been sanitized to some extent. But you go down to the first Great Awakening, the second Great Awakening, the camp meetings that were in Kentucky. I mean, you look at the Azusa Street Revival. All of those revivals had some unusual manifestations. So again, it's not unusual. In fact, even going back in church history, you'll see similar things. But unfortunately, it does... Um, it, it does challenge our thinking sometimes, especially our analytical predispositions. Mm -hmm. So take it from there. So you were there in Toronto for a season. How long? 
Yeah, we ended up being there for eight years. And wow. uh, those that may recall, but there was a COVID virus, I think I found out later, called SARS. And it hit oh, Hong yes. Kong and it hit Toronto. And, uh, and, and it in Toronto. Yeah, well, the World Health Organization basically said to people, don't go to Toronto. So where the crowds would come and cross the border, the Canadian dollar was quite low. It's a good investment for Americans to you know, drink from the river and to receive of the spirit. And so they would come, but suddenly they were, they were told, don't come because you, know, you don't want to get this virus. And so that changed a lot of things. It was like this bit of an upheaval in Toronto. And it was at that stage that we were asked if we would take leadership of the mother church in Stratford that Patricia and I were married in. And, uh, and it just seemed right. You know, as we prayed into it, we just felt like it was the Lord to do it. Uh, they were experiencing some challenges. And so we ended up spending seven years in, uh, in Stratford, Ontario. And, and that's a fun was, little town. It's amazing because it's it's kind of patterned after Stratford, England, and and where you know supposedly uh, Shakespeare was from, right? Mm -hmm. So the Shakespeare Festival. It's kind of an artsy place, and absolutely and, you know, a fun place to pastor, huh? Oh, it, it was, was great, Italian. really. Yeah, we we very much enjoyed that season. We raised our children um, for a lot of years right there, and the Lord was good to us. We appreciated those years. Uh, actually, as a quick trivial aside, but Justin Bieber grew up in that church, not under oh, our pastoral uh, care, but kind of prior to us. And so we knew Justin just before he went south and was looking at joining Usher, I think. And and uh, But it was just a city. It was actually a city set on a hill. It was the highest elevation of any city from there all the way to the Atlantic. And Oh, and I think yeah. we really engaged the place of prayer there as well. We loved the river in Toronto. We began to also develop a heart for what the Lord was doing in Bethel. As some of our team actually was regularly connected to Bethel more than we were, although we went, but also to IHOP and yeah. uh, in Kansas City. So I think that even there, the Lord began to birth some things pertaining to IHOP. And my wife, Patricia, who many know as as a uh, you know, as a prophetess called to a lot of different nations, but she really felt this word that the Lord was uniting uh, three primary moves in North America: uh, Toronto, which primarily emphasized the Father; uh, IHOP, which very much emphasized the Son, Jesus; and then Bethel, which very much emphasized the Holy Spirit. Not that they didn't emphasize others within themselves, but like a convergence of the Trinity. And, oh, that's and she released. Yeah, she released that word back in 2008, 2009, even here in Kansas City at a meeting that John and Carol were at because they had an awakening here similar to Toronto. And of course, that move in Toronto spawned numerous moves, including where you were, Michael, in San Francisco. That's right. And, no, all of us were affected. In fact, Iris Ministries with Heidi Baker, which mm -hmm. now has gosh, thousands of churches, so many movements. Leif Hetland, who's led over 500,000 Pakistanis to Christ. I mean, just amazing things were impacted out of Toronto. But let me let me just uh, pause again for our, our listeners who might not be familiar. IHOP, International House of Prayer, they're now, they're based in Kansas City. They've been going for, gosh, 25 years, is it? Of just 23, I believe. 23, 23 years of 24-7 prayer. Uh, really crying out to God, both not not only for revival, although that's a key focus, but also for the body of Christ to understand its true identity in these last days and uh, and to step into that sort of bridegroom bride relationship that they they've they've 
pioneered and then they've launched other prayer houses around the nation just amazing and then of course bethel church has become very well known for its uh for its um school but also for its worship now and uh and the church that i'm actually based in right now is jesus culture church that came out of bethel so again these are all branches of the body of christ but they're all tend to be a little controversial because they're all very much dedicated to the presence and power of god yeah. And that's something that, again, you know, many of the more traditional churches that exist in the world are not as enamored by that. They'd much rather keep it more focused on, as as John was talking about, the sort of the intellectual focus on truth, which we love. You know, we love the truth of Scripture, but, you know, their 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 tendency would be to favor that above other things that might be less understandable from an intellectual standpoint. And certainly the work of the Holy Spirit is one of those things. And if you look at scripture, even Jesus had to talk about it like, well, it's like a wind. Where does it come from? Where does it go? You don't really know. And there's a mystery. There's a dynamic there. And so, you know, as we're talking about this pioneering issue, pioneering in the Holy Spirit is a little risky. And sometimes you can make mistakes and sometimes you can favor things that that um, you find out later. No, that really wasn't the Lord. And so, again, there's an experimental dynamic there that's pioneering. And, you know, I think that there's been, you know, some ebb and flow throughout the years. But, again, we're so grateful for John and Carol pioneering. And uh, and then, of course, Randy Clark and Bill Johnson, some of these, Heidi Baker, some of these other leaders that have just done a tremendous job of integrating the supernatural and the super practical. All right. So let's take it from there. So where did you go next then with your wife? And she, uh, obviously, let me just pause for a second that um, Patricia Bootsma is well known around the world for as in her prophetic gift and her intercessory gift. And she actually is working with various ministries, even apart from John. Uh, you know, doing things that are just really uh, impactful in Israel and other places. Just just a, a quick aside, so you can study her separately. Okay, John, back to you. Tell us the next next stage of your journey. Yeah, well, and I'll say too, in some circles, Patricia's husband, which is not a bad, bad thing either. But in in 2011, we, uh, we were asked to come back to Toronto. And oh, so wow. we took the helm of the, the mothership, as, as it was known for a season, um, and uh, really re-engaged a lot of those relationships. It was somewhat of a different season, and yet the Spirit of the Lord was still being poured out, still had a lot of nightly meetings. As a matter of fact, in Toronto, there was six days a week, six nights a week. We had meetings until 2012, wow. I believe it was, okay. and uh, okay. just really being coming a part of that, but focusing on the local church, the pastoral ministry. Patricia was asked that time to also start a house of prayer in Toronto because we'd started one in Stratford. Uh, recognizing that, you know, the Lord really moves at the sound of our voice. And when we begin to petition and ask from that position of knowing who we are as sons and daughters in the kingdom and, and, and wanting to partner with the Holy Spirit and releasing the kingdom of God to the earth. Uh, and so really taking that as well. And we felt like there's, you know, we begin to see some real growth um, development take place in Toronto. And I, and I don't want to minimize the place of prayer. I, I believe in the midst of that prayer, worship, uh, Isaiah 56, 7 refers to that. I will make you joyful in my house of prayer. Jesus, of course, yes. jealous, you know, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And so just engaging this place, even of, of DNA that became very core to our hearts within the midst of the pastoral uh, ministry. And of course, being out of Toronto, we really sought to lead as apostolically as we 
because we were able, plus an incredible apostolic base that had taken place there. So we were there for seven years as well wow. to the day. Uh, wow. And then at that time, there was a shift that took place at the end of that period where we um, we made a shift to take on more of a national role within Canada that later on included a shift to include the USA uh, within that. So we became based uh, then out of Raleigh starting in, well, we, we, start, we moved to Raleigh in 2019. Um, so towards the end of 2018, we finished our, our stint within the local church, the Toronto church, which also spread into a multi-campus um, uh, realm. And, and that so was around when I reconnected with uh, with uh, Caps of Fire, which was probably like 2017, I think you were still on staff in Toronto, but that was, That's, that was yeah. awesome. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, okay. and so we ended up uh, making the shift to the USA, which was a radical change. And of course, we moved in. Uh, we got our, our religious workers visa in 2019, and with the emphasis and the and the priority of really seeking to expand the footprint of the values that the Holy Spirit poured out in Toronto, you know, yes. to really bring teaching, training, revelation of the Father, heart of God, intimacy with Jesus, that you can get your heart healed up of all the things that life has knocked the stuffing out of you. Deal with your unforgiveness issues. You know, yeah. make sure your heart is pure and not bitter and really equip the saints for the working of the ministry, that place of uh, of empowerment, that it's not the one man show or one woman show, right. but it's a release of body ministry that began to take place. And ultimately, we wanted people to encounter God's transforming presence. Yes. Uh, and so we were going to seek to take um, take the leadership actually in that realm from JT Menarchuk, who's who's also yeah. one of our catalyst leaders within Leaders Alliance, Michael. And yeah. uh, and so we we began to take that over. And of course, we didn't didn't get started too long before COVID hit and kind of shut the world down. Yeah. Um, but, you know, for us, we were really grateful. It was our access and entrance into the USA. And, and so we carried both, um, you know, really North American wide uh, coverage there, plus began to work with Murray and Ash Smith in providing uh, associate sphere leadership for North, South, Central, Latin America. You know, to yeah. really see these values taking place and, and to release everything that the Holy Spirit had poured out that was obviously important to the Lord. And, and, and to this day, I would say that the everything I see, even doctrinally, because I if we look at the word spirit continuum, yes. um, I, I'm so thankful and grateful that in my early years, I spent time in the Baptist church that was solid in the word of God. Even some of our other leaders in Catch the Fire, Steve Long, John Arnett. You know, took the time to really um, be grounded and rooted in the Word of God. Duncan Smith, Murray Smith. You know, it's a yes. huge emphasis, and I and I think it was really the the grace of God because when the Spirit was poured out, it gave us a a, a good balance. You know, where we want Word and Spirit, we need both, and it's not an either or, uh, because as the saying goes, you know, with if it's all Word and no Spirit, you can dry up. If it's all Spirit, no Word, you can blow up. But when you have Word and Spirit, you grow up. Yeah, and and so that was in my heart as well because uh, having really had the depth of the word, but we wanted to take this and continue to pour out into the nations what the Holy Spirit had sovereignly poured into our hearts and lives, yes. and uh, and today that's marked who I am. You know who Patricia and okay. I are. It, it's uh, it's changed us. It's our DNA, and I'm so super grateful for it. That's so so good. Now let's fast forward now because you're in a whole new pioneering reality. 
And uh, how did the Lord speak this to you? Give us a little bit of framework, because obviously there, there's some natural attraction to uh, pioneering a new work in Kansas City, but then there was also some supernatural guidance as well. Give us a sense of how that all came together and what you're up to now. Yeah, let me, to answer that, let me slightly backtrack to years ago. I remember our first trip to, to Kansas City, and, and it blew my mind to think that day and night, night and day, that incense was arising, that worship and prayer yes. could arise with a primary understanding that the reason we do this is because he's worthy. He's worthy of night and day worship. He's worthy to have people take this night watch 12 to 6. And, and as I began to see that, I, I felt like, you know, people that would actually pray. I mean, the word of prayer is unified the entire right. body across the board and and to realize that this was an emphasis that the spirit had really engaged in and and it, and it gripped me and i thought when i see the the impact of that prayer i, I feel like it's different than what we experience in toronto but it is an incredible move of the spirit that is facilitating and launching the move of god and so we you know what everything the lord wants to do i think ultimately until he returns and so that had gripped my heart and grip my the place of prayer that Patricia and I really sought to even give our mornings to prayer, which is what, by the way, John and Carol did prior yeah. to the 94 outpouring. They said, we yeah. don't want any of our staff showing up. We want you to give your mornings to the Lord because we're doing that. We're buying oil like Matthew 25, the parable of the, the wise and foolish virgins, the wise ones buying oil. And so yes. over the years, what happened is, is our one oldest daughter ended up coming to IHOP and took took their Bible school here became the first international graduate, married uh, a guy from Mexico. And right now, under Mike Bickle's leadership, she and her husband, Benjamin Nunez, are leading the prayer room. Wow. And, and um, yes. you know, which is astounding. And then another daughter also ended up coming here, and she's involved in children's ministry, pastoring the kids. Yeah. You know, and so for us, it's like, well, if we're going to be in the States, we'd love to be close to our kids. But I always, and, and Patricia, too, it's like, Lord, we got to know you're leading us there because... You know, that's not enough of a reason, but our oldest daughter had a dream once and, and, and I struggled because I'm like, Lord, if that dream was for us, wouldn't you have given the dream to me or to Patricia? But he gave it to her. And in this dream, John Arnett, in a way that he would do, shows up to Gabriel in her dream and says, Gabriel, we've got to plant a church in Overland Park. Now, Overland Park is a suburb of Kansas yes. City. Yes. And, uh, and so John says, Gabriel, do you know anybody that can do it? And she wow. says, yes, I know just the people, my, my parents, my dad and mom, they can do it. <laughs> and so she told us this dream. It was shortly after we'd moved to Raleigh, North Carolina. And, uh, and so like Mary in the Gospels, you know, we pondered these things in our hearts. Right. And we prayed into them and uh, really got to the point, I think, even as COVID shifted things, you know, the global response to it and, you know, the recognition that we felt like, it was time for us. We had served this move of the spirit for a quarter of a century. And we talked about church planning throughout the years. I remember Mark DuPont prophesying over us. Mark prophesied, actually declared this whole outpouring of the spirit back in 92, 93. It was oh. going to start in Toronto. Mark now is in San Diego. And, um, you know, talked about church planning and we just felt like it's time. It's time to engage the planting of a church and to take the DNA that we carried and to do it because we really felt like that dream was from the Lord. Plus it, you know, I, I was challenged by Psalm 37, four, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. I mean, Gabrielle yes. herself said, we would love to have you with us because she's, you know, they're raising their kids. They're in a, 
unique move of the Lord themselves. And, um, you know, she said, Hey, I'd love to have you closer. And so it's wow. great when your kids want you close, Michael. And, uh, it's so good. Yes. No, that's so, that's a, such an excellent, uh, story of how God guided you. Um, let's, uh, let's shift a little bit. Cause you know, what I want to zero in on is just, you know, pioneering in general, because you guys have been, you know, like, uh, I mean, I spent 33 years in San Francisco and then 12 years in Reading. I mean, we haven't moved around much, but you guys have had the privilege of being on the cutting edge of quite a few things and moving and kind of being adaptive at a level that, you know, I consider myself a pioneer, but I don't I, like when I look at you, the things you're doing, I feel like, wow, you've actually made some real major life changes to pursue the call of God on your life. And it hasn't been like necessarily a straight line. No, it Talk hasn't. a little bit about, you know, first of all, what makes you or what has the Lord done inside of you to uh, prepare you? to be the, the pioneer that would take this church and then move over here and strengthen this church and now plant a church and, you know, each of those things. What do you feel like, especially kind of with you, with, with Patricia, how has that worked in your lives for God to make you that adaptable and that, that uh, willing to lay it, lay it down every time, you know? Yeah. Um, it's a good question. And you know, one of the things that is a uh, is a kind of a the next level of the Father Heart of God message is that sonship. The sons yeah. of God are led by the Spirit of God. Oh yeah. Um, the, the biblical basis and foundation for our lives. When the cloud moved, the children of Israel moved, yes. and so we needed to have a sense of when the cloud was moving for us. And Patricia and I, even when we married. We stated we want to be radical. We are not interested in living lives of mediocrity or complacency. We really yeah. want to press in and lay a hold of everything for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of us. So and good. and so I will say that she's a bigger visionary. You know, she's got more of a visionary element to who she is than I am. Um, we make a good team in that sense, I believe, because when we both feel like we've heard from the Lord, but. But I remember being a banker and I'm crying out to the Lord, like, God, I am ready to lay the banking down, but I've got to hear from you because, yeah. you know, Toronto was twice as expensive than where we lived. And, and uh, the Lord came to me in a dream, you know, so it was mm -hmm. the dream that was enough for me. And I woke up at 555 in the morning, which five represents grace. And I'd say, Michael, the answer to a lot of that is, is I feel like the Lord has given us a grace package every step of the way. Wow. I mean, even having six children, you yourself having seven, yeah. right? I mean, it, it's a step of faith because you don't necessarily know financially where things are going. But but I've seen that there's been this grace package where it's it's like this, being led by the spirit. The sons of God are led by the spirit. The Lord has blessed us more every time we've had another child, perhaps countercultural yeah. to what we live in in the culture now in the day yes. and age in which we live today. But I think it's the sense of we want to invest in eternity. You know, th there's the things that are that are seen are temporal, but the things unseen are eternal. Mm -hmm. And years ago, even that first prophetic word, you know, that I'd had with this visitation from some folks to our family, it marked me and it branded my heart. Wow. And it was the nations involved. And, um, and at one level, I feel like we haven't gone a lot to the nations, certainly not long-term, 
but it was the sense of radical obedience, being willing to say yes. And so it's like, Lord, give me the grace package. Give me the grace package to be able to say yes each time through. And he's been faithful. Hasn't always been easy, but I remember once, you know, sometimes it's like you just feel this burning in your heart where you've got to engage things. And so for me, I felt like I've got to learn more about the return of the Lord. It's a key message that's not always talked about probably since the 88 reasons Jesus will return in 1988. And then I think the church just said, listen, it's just, you know, let's be pan trivers. It's all going to pan out. And, you know, but I got gripped because, well, will it pan out for me? You know, it's going to pan out for you. And so I was interested in that message. So I kind of got involved a little bit with IHOP. Not that I, not that I agree with her. I got a big, I don't know box, but I just wanted to learn. And so I want, so I dug into that and then I felt, I remember reading Ed Silvoso's book, Anointed for Business. And it just struck me. I'm like, you know, the the vast majority of believers are working out of the marketplace. And so I, Mm -hmm. I became involved with this organization in Canada, even in Toronto, Transform Our World or Transformation Canada. I was on their board. I was on their leadership team. I really sought to equip the people that we lived with um, or that were part of our church to validate them and celebrate them as marketplace ministers. And so that was a step where I thought it's just part and parcel of what the kingdom is about. And, and actually it reminds me, Michael, and, and I think this has helped form me and shape me too, but years ago, before this whole outpouring ever started in 94, I think before I met Patricia or maybe shortly thereafter, I had this dream. The Lord picked me up and threw me down on the ground. I felt water coming on me in, in, the, in the dream, but not in reality. And, um, and all, all I heard was Psalm 145, 11, Psalm 145, 11, Psalm 145, 11. And I woke up to Psalm 145, 11, not having a clue what it said. So doing the obvious thing, I looked it up and it said, they will speak of the glory of my kingdom and talk of my power. Wow. And so it, it marked my life and I'm like, okay, they will. And so I I just gathered, I was meant to be one of these that will speak of the glory of his kingdom, but it became a prayer point for me because I thought, God, I I can't speak of it if I'm not experiencing it and I need to encounter it. And I've come to believe wholeheartedly that there's always more in the kingdom of God. So understanding there's always more, you got to get ready to move into the more and be willing to say yes and trust that if the Lord's leading you, he's going to provide, he's going to bless uh, he doesn't send you out to war to lose. He sends you out to win. So sometimes it's a battle, but, you know, you say yes in the midst of it. And so it really, those have been some of the markers that I think have enticed us to continue to say yes. And wow. here we are. We're not, you know, we're in our mid to late 50s. Um, you know, I don't know if this is our last stop, you know, but we yeah. want to be faithful. I think you're faithful mm-hmm. in little, faithful in much. It's the little much principle. And, and uh, you know, he's worthy. I think that's what it comes down to. He's worthy and yeah. and there are eternal rewards. Like our, our gift of salvation is free, but there's eternal rewards. And you know, that's really kind of marked my heart too to say, yeah, I I, I might say now I don't care, but I think I will care. You know, yeah. if, if you take literally mm-hmm. Luke 19 or Matthew 25 about the minas or the talents, they get to rule over cities. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I think I'd like to rule over a city. That'd be kind of <laughs> cool. So it's those kinds of motivations that help speak to, you know, to, to the saying yes, to the willingness to do it. And, and obviously you guys have done that. You've established a, a church in your home at this point. Where do yeah. you see it going? You, you said you have maybe 30 to 40, 50 people gathering on a weekly basis. And you're just starting now to put in some of the, uh, the vision, structural dynamics into the, 
you know, raising up those leaders and kind of working with them. Do you see it becoming more of a, a, a group of house churches or do you see it becoming an actual uh, more traditionally Sunday morning type church? Where, where do you see it going? Yeah, um, you know, I that's a really good question that I'm still trying to answer. But having said that, I I've been asking the Lord as he's brought us to Kansas City, Lord, let us have a piece of the pie for all of Kansas city, let us play a role within the larger body of Christ. And somebody asked me, you know, are you looking for conversion growth? Or are you looking for transfer growth? And of course the answer that comes to you, Oh no, no, no. I want, I want conversion growth. doesn't right. mean you're against the, you know, the transfer growth, but the Lord has really been emphasizing on my heart, the need for evangelism that people have got to be saved. And so to get house churches in place, there's a necessity to raise up leaders. But I believe people are also wanting to bear fruit for the glory of God. And yes. they're wanting to fulfill the calling and the destiny on their lives. And so I really feel called at this stage to, to begin to engage the place of raising up leaders. But even if we look at that prophetic word that seems to become quite prevalent as a benchmark in the body of Christ about a billion soul harvest. I mean, at yes. one level, I think a billion is not enough. If there's eight billion people alive and maybe one or two believers, it's like, one billion out of five that are, you know, that's just, just doesn't cut it. It should right. be at least two or three billion. But, right. but if we reverse engineer that, like you taught me, Michael, you know, I did a world population gathering in Kansas City would, would be entitled if we get just our average to 300,000 people. Right. And so it's like, well, where are the life-giving churches? That would mean three, you know, if, if it's 300,000, that would mean 3,000 pastors, leaders, yeah. discipling churches of a hundred each are really engaging whatever it looks like in the marketplace in the church, maybe 3000 having 10 each. And so I'd like to see, I'd like to see us playing a role to help facilitate that. And I'm not, I'm asking the Lord about a building. We received a prophetic word that the Lord's going to merge us with an existing church. I think having a building is very helpful for us, but I believe that we're not, if we have a building and I, and I'm trusting the Lord will grant us one, uh, I don't want to make the building the center point. It's like, yeah. you know, I don't want to put our primary emphasis on, let's say, our weekend Sunday morning or Saturday night gathering. We might go to Saturday nights. I don't want to put it on that's our primary emphasis. I feel the primary emphasis has got to be following the commands of Jesus, because if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And he really spoke to discipleship, you know, yes. teaching them, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And making disciples, baptizing them in the name or the revelation of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yes. And so I feel like that's part of the DNA of what we want to do is really impart that revelation of the triune God, discipling people that disciple people. Second Timothy 2, 2, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, teach to others that yes. they may teach others and impart to others. And so I feel like that's part of where we're going. And yes, I'd like us to get a bigger building, but I don't want the bigger building to become central to the call of God and where we're supposed to be. I and and so I want good. to engage discipleship. I feel like it's necessary. Okay. We've got to not only make converts, but make disciples. That's who so make good. disciples, who make disciples. No, amen. Well, that's really where I think a lot of the body of Christ right now is poised in that direction. Like we're, like most people, especially, and I think COVID helped a little bit to just show us how, shallow uh some of the church expressions that we've sort of anchored ourselves to how shallow they are 
and that they're not actually producing the outcome that Jesus died to produce. And it's really time for us to, you know, put our emphasis on the right syllable, as they say, you know, Mm -hmm. and and so it's, it's really, uh, you know, it's really keep, you know, I, I actually wrote an article about that, you know, to, to keep your eye on the ball, like what's the real ball of the kingdom? Or as, as John Wimber used to say, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. Well, what's mm-hmm. the main thing? You know, is it Jesus didn't say go into all the world and have a great Sunday morning service? You know, he said, you know, we really need to change lives. Yeah. And Sundays help, but they're they're not the principal source of life change. And then if they're not the source of life change, they're certainly not the source of world change. And that's what we need to do is get back to that basic. Now, let, let's let's explore one more thing before we wrap up. We have about 10 more minutes. And I want to talk about, you know, your role, because you, you, you've also taken on a role, um, you know, somewhat volunteer, I think, but also, you know, part of your real calling to help oversee part of the movement of Catch the Fire. And you've been providing some leadership there, some assistant leadership. You've been you've been working with pioneers and planters as part of that role. And and uh, obviously, I think, you know, you just made reference to the uh, Billion Soul Harvest, which is, you know, if you're just listening fresh today, you might not know that term. But there's been a number of prophetic words over the last hundred years about a massive harvest of souls coming towards the end of the age, around 100 years after um the uh, Azusa Street outpouring, and it's been confirmed by charismatics and non-charismatics alike. And, and we're looking to say, okay, how do we position ourselves to be that? And one of the greatest you know, urgencies is to raise up leaders yeah. and to raise up truly pioneering leaders, ministry pioneers, who will actually pioneer new churches. And some people say, oh, well, we already have enough churches in the city. No, you don't. As long as there's one unsafe person in a city, you don't have enough churches because it takes a variety. See, God loves the variety of different styles and and different emphases within different churches because there's differences in every person that, that, you know, it's, you know, that my church may not be the cup of tea for somebody who needs Jesus badly, but yours might be. And so again, we we want to think as as broad and as and as uh, cutting edge as we can. Tell us about your role in helping to inspire, helping to equip, helping to mentor church planters and leaders, and how that looks to you. Yes, certainly. Well, again, as has been stated, the need is great, and so we have a number of different church planters currently in the USA, because that's where I'm focusing, although I'm also engaged with one in Mexico City right now and and um, and elsewhere, some in Canada too, for that matter. And so what I'm doing is taking the place of uh, really providing at one level oversight, but I believe leadership, Jesus taught is meant to be servant leadership. Yes. And so I meet with uh, what we call as a cluster group. We gather as a cluster because the wine is in the cluster of all the different church planners within our catch the fire world within the americas region anyway and uh, or the english-speaking world and gather with them both to both for pastoral reasons but also for a sense of coaching um or teaching or impartation kind of bringing forth the nuggets but also hearing from them I'll, i'll seek to meet with them on a regular basis always wanting to be available if they feel like they've hit a wall hit a ceiling let's chat it through but even asking them some of the challenging questions. And one of them is, is, well, what do you want to build? 
What are you, what is the Lord calling you to specifically build? Because within the realm of church, you can build something really traditional or you can build something that's more apostolic and, and perhaps a new wineskin for a post COVID era and region and different people have different senses. I think there's validity in all of it, as long as the DNA and the culture is kingdom based. But we've got a church, you know, in in, um, in Tampa Bay that we connect with some of the folks down there. We got a new one growing and and different giftings for the different people. I mean, some of the ones, for example, in Tampa Bay, they got a few businesses going on the side. And so they've merged a building where they gather with a coffee shop and a print shop. And it's all one to, to help facilitate it and make it, ha- make it happen. We got a church uh, just outside of, of Fredericksburg, Virginia, that's just started as a church plant. And... Um, you know, they're they're really like the Lord is really on them and giving them favor, bringing people to them because they've been in the region and have been known and there's grace and favor. So even by virtue of the connection with one another, it's iron sharpening iron. It's different people teaching, uh, you know, giving experience, life experience on what's happening for them and what they're learning and developing. We, we have a church that's being planted way out in the other end of the, the nation in San Diego, California. And uh, they're also very much on the educational mountain where, you know, it's bivocational. A lot of these pastors, you know, there's a sense where, you know, we got to pay the bills, which you have to pay. And when you're starting on a church plant, uh, historically, I've heard from a number of people, including yourself, that fully funded church planters don't have any greater success than those that aren't funded. And so there's an element of even staying engaged with the world when you have a vocation outside of your pastoral church planning ministry where you can connect to people that don't yet know Jesus, pre-believers, and begin to develop the relationships where where really it's not just planting churches, it's we are the church. So wherever yeah. we go, we we are the salt and the light, but there's an intentionality as the Lord connects us with people and you seek out some of their felt needs and you release the kingdom. Luke chapter 10 is a brilliant example where you, you first connect. I mean, many, you know, historically the church, you know, often could stand on the street corner and start to declare and proclaim who we are. But Jesus kind of taught the opposite as is seen in Luke chapter 10, where let's go first of all, and relate to people. Let's have fellowship with them and bless them actually be a blessing. And then you fellowship and then you, you, you intentionally kind of serve their needs before you begin to proclaim the kingdom of heaven is at hand, before you share the hope that is within you. And so yes. just even by creating an environment where we've got a number of church planners, we'll get them to teach and train one another. We'll facilitate training, different vision. We're also part of the larger Catch the Fire world where there's training. So these people realize they're not islands under themselves. They've got training opportunities, even through Leaders Alliance, through what you've brought yes. throughout the years. And it's just a privilege to begin there to be an encouragement, but not just for pastoral reasons, to help coach, to give life experience, to, you know, facilitate events. If we can get people doing an encounter weekends where they encounter the Lord, where we bring some of the core DNA teaching and revelation. And we also want to bring into the DNA that the church plants can even start to think about new church plants right from right from the beginning. Like maybe they can start to plant a church in a couple of years. Yes. And uh, and so that's part and parcel of my role, even within um, within our, our geographic region or sphere, as we call it, our America's sphere. That's right. And so, yeah, that's just amazing. Now, um, before we 
wrap this up, I do want to mention, though, that you've also been super instrumental in Pioneering Leaders Alliance. You know, your participation along with uh, JT Monarchek has been really supportive of me and Diane as we've kind of taken these steps and and built this uh, this sort of secondary expression of kingdom community in connection with uh, Catch the Fire. So thank you so much for you know, sort of lending your strength to this process with us. And so we really, really do appreciate it. So let's, let's just talk about any final words. Like, okay, I'm a, I'm a pioneer. I know God's called me to be on the cutting edge. Like I'm going to be in the wagon train going over the Oregon trail to, uh, you know, farm a new piece of land in an uncharted territory um, you know, I'm going to start a ministry, I'm going to start a church, I'm going to start a business, um, or start a family even. <laughs> what yeah. kind of, what counsel do you give me? What kind of words of caution and words of encouragement do you have for a pioneer, a person who knows they're called to pioneer, but they may feel a little reticent, they may feel a little bit skittish? What would you say like the top three things that you would encourage them to think about or to do as they step into a pioneering role? Well, number one, I think be a person of prayer. Yeah. You know, you, you we're partnering with the Holy spirit. If, if we're feeling called to extend the kingdom of God, to be a pioneer, uh, even an apostolic prophetic visionary, whatever your gift mix is, I think we can think apostolically. And so, yes, be a person of prayer. I, I believe the Lord is is so desiring to fulfill Habakkuk 2.14, that the, the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, even as the waters cover the sea. Right. And so when we have uh, an intimate relationship with him, I think it's recognizing, first of all, that if you've got those desires, the Lord has probably put them in you, probably created you to do that as part of your destiny. And when you seek to do it in partnership with the Holy Spirit, he will teach you. He will give you wisdom. He will lead you in the way that you're to go. And that's so I think that's number one. Uh, maybe yeah. these are not in any particular order, but I think that's a really good one. Sometimes the way up is down. So it's dig, develop a good root system. That's yeah. a good prayer life. Um, and, and then number two is surround yourself with good people that, carry comparable, similar values, a similar heart, people that are teachable, uh, that will honor your leadership, that you can release the culture of what you're bringing forth. Now, you can't release your culture if you don't know your culture. So begin to really seek the Lord on what does this look like? And sometimes that can be easily answered by what doesn't it look like? Yes. If your answer is, what does it look like? I don't know. Well, then tell me what it doesn't look like. What don't you want? to help format what you do feel called to do. And I would say, you know, begin to have spiritual mentors and apostolic leaders, people that have walked the walk as well as talked the talk, but walked the walk for sure yes. that have gone on before you that carry um, battle scars or carry a limp. I mean, you could trust Jacob because he walked with a limp after he fought you know, the angel of Peniel. And, and, and so bring these people alongside where learn from the experience and the wisdom of others in doing it. I would say too, you know, don't be afraid of hard work, prioritize your life properly. 
there's certain things that we've got to say goodbye to, things that maybe you did yesterday or yesteryear that are part of your past. And it's time to say goodbye to some of those habits as we begin to pioneer into something new. I feel like I'm speaking to myself now as well. <laughs> um, you know, but again, I think too, be a man of the, or a woman of the word in the spirit. Yes. You know, it's like, let, let the word of God help shape your culture and form who you are. Wow. And uh, trust that the Holy Spirit really is seeking to facilitate this in you. You know, give God the glory. Um, yes. You know, it's like if Jesus is central, man, yeah, it's, it's a good thing. So there's a lot of different things you could say. Oh, those are so good. Those are great points, though. Well, why don't we do this? Let's wrap it up. And um, But, you know, how can people contact you if they want to get more information about who you are? Um, what's, what's the best uh, email or website or whatever? Yeah, the uh, my my website for Catch the Fire Kansas City is www.ctfkc.com. Because we're currently meeting in our house, we don't show our meeting area. But if you're in the Kansas City area and listening to this, uh, you can you can send a link to us and we'll respond. Or us my email address, which also is easy, john.bootsma at catchthefire.com. And again, boots is like you wear on your feet. Ma is like mother. So B-O-O-T-S-M-A. It's a Frisian name from the northern province of the Netherlands. So john.bootsmycatchthefire.com. You can send me an email there, and I'd be happy to respond uh, there as well. Excellent. Well, that's so good. You've done such a great job kind of giving us some vision for what it means to pioneer just from your own life. And also just some of those principles that you ended up with were so excellent. And so why don't we just uh, close in prayer, but could you pray for us and everybody listening both now, live, but also in the future as they view this uh, in the archives. Why don't you just pray a blessing over us? Because again, there's no time distance in God. He's able to touch us anytime. So um, give us an impartation of what you've learned as you pray. Yeah, thank you, Michael. So, Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus, and we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, for everybody listening, whether it's live, whether it's in times to come. Father, I pray that you would impart to them your grace, your grace package, grace package to become a son or a daughter in your kingdom, to receive that revelation that you love them exactly the way you are. You also love them too much to leave them that way. And I thank you, Father, that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, that each and every one belongs. We belong in the kingdom. We belong in the family of God. Father, yes. thank you that you are faithful to accomplish those things that concern us. Psalm 138.8. Thank you that you will father us to a place of wholeness and healing, that you father each listener, even into their, their identity, but their destiny, the calling the purpose of God in their lives. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just so put your finger on the dreams, the desires, the prophetic words of times past. Lord, that you would bring those things to the surface of lives and that you would create, Father, a pathway as it were, that you would create even a sense of boldness or a sense that, that today is the day of salvation. Today's the day of shift. Today is the day to engage the purposes of the Spirit to begin to bear fruit that lasts for the glory of the King who is worthy. And so, Holy Spirit, would you touch each listener right now with your presence, with your power, with your glory, with your grace. I pray, Father, for 
connection with other kingdom-minded believers. I pray that you would impart strategic vision and blueprint to reach out into the world to make disciples. I pray for grace to plant churches, Father, wherever people would be. I pray, Lord, even for marketplace ministries, movements that are connected to a vibrant, life-giving church, Father, that we would see a health that expands. Thank you that healthy things grow. Lord, let there be an incredible impartation of health that would create growth, that would see cities, that would bend their knee to the name of Jesus. And so bless every listener, bless their family relationships, marriages, children. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on our piece of earth as it is in heaven so that the whole earth would declare the glory of the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, John Bootsma. Thank all of you who have been listening and will listen in the future. If there's anything we can do to serve you, you can find us at leadersalliance.org. And we're happy to be, uh, you know, give you some of our resources and invite you into more of a membership relationship. If you can, we have some incredible teaching on, on leadership. Uh, both the Kingdom Leadership Foundations course as well as the Advanced Kingdom Leadership course. Both of them are available and you can, you know, um, purchase them, download them. And the first set is really around your own development as a leader. The second one is about your your true activity as a leader and how you lead others and how you lead organization. And but it's all from a kingdom perspective. So we'd encourage you to check it out. God bless you. We're going to sign off now and we'll hopefully we'll see you next week. Take care.